Father's Day. And I believe the concept of fatherhood is, is being undermined today in so many ways, almost every way possible, fatherhood is being undermined. The concept of fatherhood. Now, Paul was never married, but he understood his fathering role of influence in the lives of those who were under his care. He understood that fathering aspect. So, there are many ways that we're called to parent others in God's kingdom family, and it's not just through nuclear, natural family connection. Um, in in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, he said, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I've begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. So fathering isn't just a starting point. It's an ongoing relationship. It doesn't, it's not just a spit in the pan. It's, it's continuing. It's, it's continue to imitate me. For this reason I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. He said many can teach you. Many can teach you. A lot of people can share truth. might be really, really good truth. There might be people who really live out a good, strong testimony of Christ among you. But he said, that doesn't make them a father. That doesn't make them a father. There are not many fathers in the faith. Fathers in the faith are pretty rare, I think. And we, should, we men should aspire to that fathering character to which Paul is calling us here in 1 Corinthians. It just, it's not just toward our kids. It's toward people. It's toward the adult children in the congregation. And I don't mean that in a diminishing way. I mean it's for the children of God that are 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old in the congregation. That kind of fathering as well. It has very little to do with age, I've found. I have known young men in their 20s who had a fathering spirit about them, and they would, they would do things that are a fathering type activity or unction, I would say. Um, uh, I think Judah just stepped out. I, I, I'm, I'm going to take the risk of, of using him as an example here. I don't think many of you know this, but the little store down here, the Alma store, was what we usually call it, that little store was uh, threatened with, um, what do you call it when Jerry Jones takes property for... What is it? Somebody say it. Imminent domain. I couldn't think what that word. Okay. Imminent domain. It was threatened with imminent domain. Very serious threat. Somebody said they're attracting a bad type of person. Well, they attract people in this neighborhood. And we've got some people in this neighborhood that probably aren't the greatest people in the world. Um, but um, imminent domain was threatened to just 
forced them out and used their property for another purpose that this, that this uh, wealthier entity, I'll just say it that way, had in mind. Judah, our youth leader, found out about it because he's friends with those people down there that have that little store. He found out about it. He said, I don't think that's right. You know why? That's a fathering heart because it doesn't like bullies. You with me? Fathers don't like bullies. You know what he did? He asked me about it. He asked me about it. He said, you okay if I do this? I said, yeah, I am. He started a petition around the whole community, getting signatures of people that felt like that store ought to be there, and then it was a blessing to our community, and it wasn't at all what they are claiming it is, a magnet to bad people. He got, I, I don't know how many signatures, Lots, lots, lots of signatures of people took it to the city and won. Now, we don't put that in the bulletin. We don't advertise that. But I'm telling you, that's a fathering thing to do. It's coming against the bullies of the world. Just because you want a property and you can't just take it over because you got more money and you got more stuff and you're bigger and stronger than they are. Isn't that great? You ought to thank God that we have a youth leader that has that kind of heart. Fathering hearts sometimes take the risk of saying pretty strong things with a spirit of meekness, but they'll say pretty strong things like, you know what you need to do? You need to imitate me. Whoa! I don't know that many parents would say that children. <laughs> we, sh we probably should be able to, but I think we'd be a little shaky in saying, imitate me. I'm urging you to imitate me. Paul said that. And he said, I want Timothy to remind you, I've sent him to you to remind you of, do you remember it from the scripture? My ways. Did you hear that? He didn't say my words. He said, I've sent Timothy to remind you of my ways in Christ. What, what are our ways? Let me submit to you that our ways are those intangibles in our life. Our ways are things like rising early. Our ways are things like being orderly. Our ways are things like keeping your word and being faithful. Our ways are things like you can count on that person. If they say they're going to do something, they do it. Our ways are someone that just has a servant heart, and when they see something needs to be done, they pitch in and do it. They don't wait for, they don't wait for something. They don't slack off and sit over the side and kind of fold their arms and say, well, I hope somebody does that. They start doing it. They notice things without being told, put your hand to that. Don't you like to have guys like that knowing on your job? You don't have to tell them every move to make. They'll look at something and go, on hell. They look at something and they go, okay, I better do that. I know no one needs that done. Man, I bet you wish you had 20 of those guys. It's their ways. Ways are things like being brave. Ways are things like doing the right thing instead of doing the easy thing. You tracking with me? That's the kind of fathering heart. Ways are things like they don't like bullying like I was talking about. That's, that's those intangibles of life. It's, that, it, it, it's those systemic ways of life 
which are part of everything about us, part of everything that we do and say and think. See, fathers in the faith realize that their ways teach a lot more strongly than their words. We've all heard the expression, your actions are so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. Our ways speak so much more to the heart of our world than our words do. As I thought of the influence of fathers in the faith, um, one member of our church family came to mind, and that was Larry Nielsen. I've known Larry since the late 80s and early 90s when he and I were staff members together at Christ for the Nations Institute just up the road here. For many years, Larry traveled constantly, uh, visiting person to person with, um, with men and women all over the world that he had mentored and walked with. But several years ago, Larry was struck with an affliction which made it impossible for him to continue that intense traveling schedule that he had had before. But you know what? Fathers have a way of connecting with their kids. They just make it happen. Fathers have a way of connecting with their kids. And he has a constant conversation going all over the world with sons and daughters in the faith that he connects with through social media. And I've asked him, Larry, come on up right now. I've asked him to share the dynamic of that ministry with us because here's the reason for it. I want you to see the diversity. You can do it from there if you want to. Uh, Or you can bring that mic up. Yeah, that'd be good. I want you to see the diversity of how spiritual parenting can happen. Just the button and it should a little light should come on. Not all, there you go. Share with us, Larry. Well, I presume it's a good morning. It is. On this side it is. This side I don't know. You know. Yeah, right. I I chose this T-shirt on purpose. Nobody knows what it says no. except me. No. It says Christ for the nations in Russian. Yeah. Now I think globally. I'm always thinking globally. And when I wasn't able to travel and to be where I wanted to be, I thought, well, life's over. So, okay, God, let's just die and go to heaven. Mm -hmm. But he had a different plan. Mm -hmm. For, For quite a while, it was really difficult to deal with life. Mm -hmm. Because you can't do what you want to do. That's right. And somebody said... Get on Facebook, and I said, you lost your mind? Why would I want to be on Facebook? Mm-hmm. It's literally a waste of my time. And they said, okay. So they set up an account for me and then told me how to use it. And I'm going, great. This is really cool. Well, since that time, I communicate between five and seven countries every day with people I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last week, I got a call from a guy in Indonesia that I haven't communicated with in probably six years. He said, would you be part of a thing we're doing in Asia? And I said, sure, what? 
He has a YouTube channel that he preaches on, and he said, we're starting a devotion every day. There are seven countries involved so far, one every day, and I thought, now isn't this interesting? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, this thing is two and a half weeks old, and he's got 800 subscribers. Mm -hmm. Not bad for two weeks. Not bad. All over Asia, they're listening to this devotional thing. And I said, well, God, this is pretty cool. I like it. Mm -hmm. So once a week, I get to send a 10-minute encouragement to people in Asia, specifically in Asia. Mm -hmm. If you don't know, Indonesia is, quote, unquote, the biggest Muslim population on the earth. That's but right. that won't be yeah. for very long. Mm. Because the Christians in Indonesia are crazy. Mm -hmm. They are. Yeah. I know some of them. So, yeah. Me too. I, matter of fact, I sent some, uh -huh. of the, some of the things to Oki. Yeah. They go where nobody else will go. They start ministries <clears throat> where it's 100% Muslim and they're the only Christian. Mm -hmm. I personally <clears throat> know some guys that have done that. Well, it doesn't take long until God takes over. And that is happening in Indonesia yeah. right now. But there's people in Korea. There's people in Japan, in Singapore, in Malaysia, Indonesia, and now from the States. And I'm adding one more from Poland. We're after the world. Now, it's hard for me to think locally. Sorry, but it is. Globally is what I'm all about. Yeah. And God has opened that door it, it just amazes me. Mm -hmm. If you'll be patient and just wait on God, what he'll do. Mm -hmm. So Facebook has become a good tool. Yeah. I promise it can be a big distraction. Mm -hmm. You can see this guy back here going, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he works for Facebook. I won't tell you who it is. but <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for Facebook. Yeah, amen. There you go. Because I can call. That's right. I can see them. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can message them. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you need to be a little careful when you're uh, trying to call somebody and it's 2 a.m. their time. It's like, mm -hmm. you shouldn't do that. Please don't yes, do that. Right. <laughs> you're right. But by the grace of God, he never gives up on us. Amen. Amen. We give up on ourselves. Amen. But he never gives up on us. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Larry. So you get what I'm saying? Fathering isn't just a nuclear family, my local church thing. It's how we operate. It's how we think. It's, it's the systemic unction of our whole life. I, I hear the word systemic used a lot today for different things, and it's usually used in a wrong way. Systemic means it's not just a part. It's not just a part of the whole, it's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. And so fathering comes in to, is systemic if it comes into all parts of our life. How we relate to our wife, how we relate to other people in the church, how we relate to a local business down the street, how we relate to people that we um, see uh, just in the community. But parenting also has a lot of challenges. I don't think any parent would disagree with me in that. 
Parenting is not an easy role, primarily because each of our children have a distinct personality. And so flexibility becomes absolutely essential in parenting. I don't think you could possibly be a good parent without having a great level of flexibility. Now, some of us thought we were doing a pretty good job of parenting, but the outcome of our parenting um, may not be a stellar testimony of that. But I get a little weary. I get a little weary with parents who congratulate themselves so greatly on their parenting skills, especially when they use the word just too often. Well, you just do this, and you just don't do this, and you just, I mean, as if they got it all figured out. What we feel like saying when others say things like that is, I'd like for you to try some of that formula parenting on one of my kids. I'd like for you to try that. <laughs> uh, they always show us photos. I, I, this happened to me just recently, so it's very fresh. Uh, they always show us photos of their little perfect darlings. You know, how um, they're leading the way academically and she's this, and she's got a photo of her and him or whatever. And they're receiving honors as standout athletes. And they're getting invitations to the best of universities and getting amazing grants. Somebody could help me with this. Why is it that all the rich kids seem to get all the grant money? I don't know. But it seems like that. I might be wrong. I'm not in that world. But you, on the other hand, you might be just proud that your kid... Uh, made it through without any great harm or loss of life. You know, it's like, you know, it set the bar pretty low sometimes. But you know what, family? Outcomes are often not seen for a long time. So you've got to do the right thing, Natalie, all through, because outcomes are not always seen very quickly. Proverbs 22 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he will not depart from it. Mm. I've seen many of those perfect little darlings, as I describe them, trained up according to the strong will of parents. <sighs> when they get out on their own, they're spring-loaded to do what they're going to do. And uh, sometimes the result is tragic. Sometimes it is. Proverbs says that we as parents should train them up in the way that they are gifted, in the way that they are bent. Train them up according to their natural propensities, in other words. Train them up in the uniqueness of their personhood. Don't try to make them like somebody else. Here's a parenting law, and I mean this is a, this is a law. Comparison is a parent's worst enemy. Now, you know, I don't make statements like that very easily. I really thought about it. I mean, it's written word for word in my notes. It is a parent's worst enemy. Avoid it like rattlesnakes. Comparison. Comparing your kids with one another. Comparing your kids with the kids down the street. Comparing your kids with somebody else's kids. 
It says when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Listen to this. With parenting, quick results are not promised. You do the right thing because it's right, not because it's easy. Because with some, maturity takes a long time. And we may not see the right, the, the, the fruit of right parenting for a long, long time. In fact, I'm going to be real here. You may not ever see it. You may not ever see it. It's still the right thing to do. It's still the right thing to do. Um, I often ask this of parents who feel like they've been failures as parents. I say, did you do the best you could with what you knew and what you had? You may not have been able to buy them Nike shoes, but did you do the best you could do with what you had, with the budget you had and with the things you had and where you were? And almost every parent will say, yeah, I did. I did. And I say, you've got to rest in that. You've got to rest in that. You have to make peace with yourself in that. Stop second-guessing yourself. You were, in the middle, you were in the middle of everything. You're trying, to, you're trying to work with your reality. Let me talk to you just a little bit about bullying. I, I've, I've been reading uh, some books about, about bullying. One thing I know about being a man of God is that somebody has to take a stand against the bullies of the world. Somebody has to take a stand. Paul was such a father, and every one of us should want to be the same. And he said, there will, in, in Acts 20, he said, there will always be savage wolves among you. He said, who will come among God's people, not sparing the flock. There will always be savage wolves among you. A father in the faith will be gentle and caring toward the, the, the weak and the sincere, but will be a mama bear when it comes to the wolves. I mean, then we get like Paul when he said in 1 Timothy, whose mouths must be stopped. <laughs> yeah, there's a time when you say that. Whose mouths must be stopped. Even a rat will defend its own nest. A stinking rat. We need protectors in the world. We need protectors. We need rescuers. We, meet, we need men and women of courage. Our spiritual kids need to know that we will not desert them in the hard times. Uh, I want to read to you a, a little excerpt from, from a book by Dennis Rainey, The Tribute. Uh, Barcelona, Spain. Jim Redmond did what any father would do. His child needed help. It was that simple. The Olympic Games have the kind of security that thousands of policemen and metal detectors can offer. But no venue is safe when a father sees his son's dream drifting away. One minute I was running, Derek Redmond of Great Britain said, the next thing was a pop, I was down. Uh, do you guys remember this? I can't remember what year it was, but 
Um, oh, it says at the top here, it was August 1992. I, I remember this. Derek, 26, had waited for this 400-meter semifinal for at least four years. In Seoul, he had an Achilles tendon problem. He waited until a minute and a half before the race began before he would admit to admit he, wouldn't, he couldn't run. In November 1990, Derek underwent operations on both Achilles tendons. He's had five surgeries in all, but he came back. In the first two rounds, he ran 45.2 and 45.3, his fastest times in five years. I really wanted to compete in my first Olympics, Redmond said. I was feeling great. It just came out of the blue. Halfway around the track, Redmond lay sprawled across lane five, his right hamstring gone bad. It dawned on me I was out of the Olympics final, he said. I just wanted to finish that race. Redmond struggled to his feet and began hobbling around the track. The winner of the heat, defending Olympic champion Steve Lewis, had finished and headed toward the tunnel. So had the other six runners, but the last runner in the heat hadn't finished. He continued. Jim Redmond, Derek's dad, sitting high in the stands at Olympic Stadium, saw Derek collapse. You don't need accreditation in an emergency, Redmond said. So Redmond, a 49-year-old machine shop owner in Northampton, ran down the steps and onto the track. I was thinking, Jim Redmond said, I had to get to him so he could say he finished the semifinal. The crowd realized that Derek Redmond was running the race of his life. Around the stands, from around the world, the fans stood and honored him with cheers. At the final turn, Jim Redmond caught up to his son, put his arm around him. Derek leaned into his into his dad's right shoulder and sobbed. But they kept running. An usher attempted to intercede and escort Jim Redman off the track. If ever a futile mission had been undertaken. <laughs> they crossed the finish line. Father and son, arm in arm. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to read that. That's a, that's, that's a father in the faith. That's what fathers and mothers in the faith do. It's just there. It's systemic in them. It's not a logic issue. It's not a rational thing like, okay, I need to do this and I need to do this. Put the left foot in, put the left foot out. It's not that. It's that I can't do anything else. I can't keep from doing this. When someone is making an effort and falling and struggling, we don't sit and click our tongue, critical of the one who hasn't finished. Our world needs rescuers, who, uh, men and women who will jump into the arena of the abused and the marginalized and feel what they feel. I grew up in the era, this, this is way back, I grew up in the era when if two or three guys jumped on one guy, other guys pulled him off. So it would be fair. So it would be fair. You weren't allowed to gang up, especially if he was small or had some 
disabilities. It takes courage. You know what? Here's the bottom line. We have to fear cowardice more than we fear biblical nobility. Do you hear that? We have to fear, we have to have something within us that says, I, I can't identify with that. I'm not a coward. I saw my father growing up. He was a World War II vet. I saw my father growing up ask other men not to swear in front of his wife, my mom. And I've heard, I, I know exactly the words that he used because I've heard him do it several times. We'd be at some market, some, some community sale, some old boys just swearing. They're standing there waiting to order a hamburger. My dad would go over and he'd say, I appreciate it if you wouldn't swear in front of my wife like that. And you know what? They honored it. They'd turn and say, thank you, appreciate that. That's farmers. That's old country boys. Appreciate it if you wouldn't swear like that in front of my wife. Thanks, I appreciate that. And they'd settle down. It wasn't some big fight, some lawsuit threatened. I'm going to get my lawyer. Nothing like that. It's man to man. It's real. It's courageous. It's what men do. Guys, we're losing that. We're losing that manhood that does things like that, that's quiet and secure, that just walks into a situation and says, well, let's see what we can do here. We're so afraid. We're so fearful today. World War II guys did things like that. But that kind of honor is virtually gone today. If, if you take a stand like that today, your first thought is, he could kill me. You know that not long ago we had somebody pull a gun at Planned Parenthood with Hector, one of our guys on the Catholic side. Pulled a gun out and showed it to him because he wanted to give him a brochure. And I know that in making the signs that I'm having made right now, and I'm going to hold them, Black Lives Matter, beginning in the womb. Could somebody just drive down that street and just mow us down? Thanks for your prayers, Lana Gale. You and my wife, Jean, my late wife, prayed that every single time we were down there, that we would be protected from people, crazy people like that. The church has such a need for fathers and mothers, real men and women who stand for righteous causes like David. Just a young man, but he shows up in the time of battle and he looks around and he says, who's going to take care of that big bully? All the soldiers are shivering in their tents. Not us, not me, no, not me. He's too big, too strong. David asks a simple question, is there not a cause is there not a cause? When did we lose the causes that are important in our life? When did we get distracted by all the world's stuff from the real causes that are in life? I hope Father's Day will remind us of what fathering really means today. But boy, this came home to me like a, like a ton of bricks. I remember as a boy going to church and passing a farmer's place 
on the way to the little church we went to. And, and uh, we knew that farmer. We knew who lived there. And there was an old skinny, raw-boned horse in the corral. Skinny, skinny, in a dirt corral with no feed, couldn't see any water, standing there in the hot sun. And as we were driving to church, we saw, him, we saw that horse in that corral standing there, and we'd seen it before. We came home from church. My dad pulled in there. I don't remember him asking my mom. I don't remember him asking anything. I just remember him doing it. He pulled in there, pulled the car in, went up and knocked on the farmer's door. The guy came out. My dad took a moment to ask the guy if he knew the horse was in trouble. The guy said something to him. And my dad said, can you do something about that? The guy said, yeah, I will, Ted. They shook hands. We drove away. That's a manly thing to do. He didn't walk up and threaten him. He didn't walk up and threaten him with a lawsuit or some, is it Peter or Peta? I, know how to, I never know how to say that word. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about, people that are always taking up for animals. He didn't threaten him with something like that. He's asked the farmer, a friend of his. He knew the guy's name. He said, we take care of that horse. That horse is out there starving. The guy said, yeah, yeah, I'll take care of him, Dad. And they parted as friends. Probably nothing like that could happen today. I don't know. But because of the courage of my dad and the honesty of that friend of his, good things could happen. Because even a skinny, old, raw-boned horse needed a rescuer. Nobody else cared. Everybody just drove by. Jesus talked about two kinds of people. Two kinds of people. Those that have a shepherding heart and those that have a hireling heart. Remember that? Shepherds really care and they act on their concern with a spirit of meekness, with strength and honesty. Hirelings flee when they see the wolf approaching. I'm going to get gut level with you. I'm going to press right up against something right now. George Floyd needed a couple of shepherding-hearted policemen when that guy had his knee in his neck to walk over there and say, get your knee off his neck. And you know what happened? The other guys just stood there because two of them were rookies and they were all afraid. Fear. Fear keeps us from being manly. Fear makes us run, cowering. Not standing in the gap. Not standing for right causes. George Floyd needed somebody to say, don't do that. Get your knee off his neck. Be a man. Don't stand around with your arms folded. I saw that videotape over and over and it made me sick. Ah, yay, Becca. The church today is in such need for men and women with iron in our soul who are more afraid of cowardice than we are of wolves. 
Are you more afraid of wolves or are you afraid that you're a coward? I'm asking men and women today, right here, right here in this gathering, right in this room, I'm asking men and women today, not if you have what I'm talking about, if you've got the iron in your craw. I'm saying, are you, are you willing to, to, do you want that? Do you desire that? And are you willing to say, yes, Lord, I want that. I'm recruiting soldiers willing to stand in the gap at school, on the job, in their home, in their neighborhood, like Judah did for this little store down here. He didn't have any business. He could have just stood by and said, okay, you guys look like you're going to lose your business. Couldn't stand to see a bully pushing a little guy around. And so he did something and won for those people. I'm going to ask us to repeat that, No Longer Slaves, because I think that song just says it, okay? Let's sing that again. Would you stand with us, please? Hallelujah. Child of God, I no longer. 
wrapping up today to call you to some specificity in what we're talking about here because it's really easy to say amen and yeah that's right sounds good pastor but I want to I want to challenge you with some very specific areas um, one of the men that really has a fathering heart that God has brought to our body is Ron Lewis and Ron is our outreach leader and uh, you'll see in the bulletin today, too, that, that uh, we had to choose a new council member to replace Judy because she's my wife now and she can't be a council member. Uh, that's in the bylaws. So uh, our council asked Ron to step into that role. You know why that is? That's because we see a fathering heart in this man. And let me give you some specifics here. The last time we went down on First Friday, he went down on First Friday, and All right, I'm going to get real with you. One of the reasons that I step back sometimes from some of these outreaches is because I don't want you to think that the paid guy will always be there and will always be doing it. The church needs to move into these places. It was Ron and Phyllis and Justice who were down on First Friday last time. We need more people down there at DISC, at at Street Church with Karen Dudley. We need more people down there to join them. We need to have a bigger team that goes down and takes food down and helps serve and so forth. So I want to challenge you. And and if you want to mask up and glove up to go down, that's fine. No problem with that whatsoever. You can wear a mask and gloves through the whole thing. That is not a problem. I promise. But you can be part of it. And I'm saying that to our Zoom people, too, that are watching by Zoom this morning. Mask up and glove up and go down with Ron on First Friday this next time. Be part of that. Go down there. You want a mission field trip? Hmm. This is a mission field trip. It's just 40 minutes away, but boy, is it a mission field trip. Yeah. Ron's also had a heart to reach out to our firemen. We've got a fire station right across from us here. There's another one in the area. Every month he's taking cookies to these firemen, baked goods, he says, to these firemen. We need to have more people do that. We need to have some men and women, some brave people. Mask up, glove up, go along with me. He usually goes on a Saturday. A lot of people have Saturday off. But, oh, you know, I'd just rather just sit at home and be with my family. I know, I know, I understand that. I'm a man. I'm a, I'm a human being. I'm not made of stone and steel. Although I tell my wife all the time I'm a man of steel, but I just impress her, you know. She's gone now, so I mean. When he's reaching out to those firemen, join him in that. Say, Ron, how can I be part of that? How, I, I want to learn about that. I want to see what you're doing there. I've got a heart for that. Ron's had a heart to walk in a, an apartment complex up here, to have a prayer walk there for a long time. long time we couldn't do it because of the epidemic, but pretty soon that's going to start happening. You want to be part of that? 
walking in a big apartment complex up here, just prayer walking and see what God will do. Ask Ron about that. That's a soldier. That's a soldier. That's a father in the faith. You want to stand with us at Planned Parenthood? You know what? The team gets very, very small out there. Most of all of us have been out there when we was the only man standing out there a number of times. Want to be part of that? Dig me. Talk to me. Talk to me about that. I'll be glad to show you the ropes. Wally will be glad. Michael will be glad. Michael Sykes will be glad. Um, talk to us about that. We're out there. We're out there on the sidewalk. But I'll tell you what, you've got to go cross-current with your convenience. You're going to have to go cross-current with some other things to do it. Grab some courage. Get hold of your heart and say, I need to do that. I need to, I need to be out there with those guys. It's a manly thing to do. It's a, great, it's a great father's heart that doesn't like for those little unborn babies that don't have a voice to be bullied by tearing them apart. Can you excuse my graphic language? But that's what I'm talking about. That's the most bullying thing I could ever imagine my whole life is taking apart a little baby that can't cry out for himself or herself because I've got power over him. I can do it. Boy, you talk about a bully, and that rises up inside me. I never did like bullies. I didn't like bullies when I was eight years old and fighting with them. I still don't like them. And I think Planned Parenthood is the biggest bully I know. Hmm. Dig me. Talk to me about it. Let's have a conversation. Just, just think about it. Let the Lord use you. Let the Lord draw you.